No video yet. Hello, everybody. How are you? Good. How are you? Hi. Hi. I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, for all of our viewers, we are with the SCA Coaches Corner. Um, tonight, we have a lovely topic to discuss with everybody, and Duke Eliyahu will be running the show with Viscount Tristan there at his side. Uh, as well. So for everybody watching, this is a live Zoom. Um, people are actually coming in as we are making this introduction. So if you do want to join us, you are welcome to join us. Just please cut off your video, cut off your sound. If you have any questions, use the raise hand function or send a little chat message inside Zoom. Otherwise, all the questions that we see on Facebook, the actual Facebook comment box, um, we will be trying to get to those as well. So don't take it personally if we can not we're working on limited time tonight so with that housekeeping out of the way duke Eliyahu, i will be passing this off to you okay thank you um hi i'm duke Eliyahu, uh living in the middle kingdom right now i've been uh, a knight for 37 years and um, <clears throat> um reigned twice and i've uh, been teaching fighting for all that time uh, but I also uh, teach at the university. I've taught at six different colleges and universities in three states in the areas of graphic design and marketing and marketing communications. Uh, I'm now a full-time lecturer uh, where I am. And what I started doing when I uh, started teaching, I've been teaching now at the university level for about 11 years and but as an undergrad, I also had training for teaching certification. And what I started doing when teaching fighting in the SCA was apply what I knew about teaching methodology in the classroom to teaching SCA fighting. Hence the title of tonight's discussion, 10 Lessons from the Classroom for Teaching SCA Fighting. And when when we're done with this, um, I'll post up my outline as a, as a summary so people can look at it. And of course, you're always welcome to contact me with any questions um, afterwards. So that's kind of the, the background and overview. And um, shall we take it from there? Sure. And, and actually, I wanted to just have a, a brief thing of, of my background. Uh, as well, because uh, how it relates to teaching, I think, applies to this uh, this episode. And that is, I started in the SCA when I was uh, 15 years old. Um, I was knighted in 96. I think I started in 83. But my teaching really came learning how to help mentor fighters. And it was very rough because the SCA really doesn't have much for any structured learning. Uh, did kind of the best I can. You know, tripped along trying to teach myself how to fight and then pass along what I'd learned to others. So there was very little structure. And then I went to Aikido, which had a very uh, 
rigid structure or much more elaborate structure for teaching students of physical art. And uh, I've, I've had a dojo now for nine years that I've taught many students that have come in past. I've worked with people with, with physical backgrounds without, uh, with martial art backgrounds without, and but I've really taken both aspects of learning, uh, more of a freestyle kind of approach that SCA takes, as well as more of a structured curriculum approach that Aikido takes to try to find what's a good balance in between. So that's a little bit of my teaching background. Terrific. That's really good. Um, I think that <clears throat> one of the things that the SCA experience affords us is the ability, if we're paying attention, to apply the lessons we learn in the SCA to the modern world and vice versa. And uh, that's been really helpful for me and I, sound, I think for a lot of people. Um, <clears throat> so there's a lot of things that you touched on, Tristan, that I, are absolutely related to, to what I'm gonna talk about. And I'll start with this. First of all, students. Who are your students? At what level of learning are they? Uh, <clears throat> you said that you had some students who are had some physical background, some who didn't. Uh, I've had students, I had a squire who <clears throat> I had to start over because he was fighting, but he didn't understand how to actually move his body in a way. So I had to start him with exercises to teach him how to be aware of his body. So. Whereas on the other hand, I had students in the SCA who come with a lot of physical experience, then they have some habits they have, may have to unlearn or you have to channel those into to a new ways. So understand the students. <clears throat> There's an agreement also between teacher and student. They have to trust you. And that's one of the first important parts of teaching. When I started SCA fighting, teaching fighting in the SCA consisted of putting you in armor and beating the crap out of you until you figured out how not to get hit. And it was that unstructured. And fortunately, along the way, I found several good teachers and <clears throat> then started applying my own teaching methods to it. How do students learn? And there, we've talked a little bit about learning styles in an earlier episode of this. Uh, I've had students who I have to explain to them so they can mentally understand it. And then their physical body starts to learn it, but they can control it. They have to think about it first. I've had students who are very physical who didn't, who could move, but didn't understand what they were doing. So there's, you know, there's the kinesthetic and there's oral learning and, and verbal and visual. And, and basically you can't really know uh, so I try to touch on all of those when talking to the students and see what clicks. Um, what limitations does a student have? Do they have physical limitations, emotional limitations? Sometimes when people are starting out in the SCA fighting or in any structured learning environment and they're, they can't do it right away, they're frustrated and frustration can be very emotional for some people. So how do you Deal, deal with that. And then I, I emphasize to students that learning is collaboration, not competition. Your competition happens in the list field, in a test, in a, an interview, something. But in, in a learning environment, 
people can help each other. They can collaborate. So understand your students. Who are your students? That's the first lesson from the classroom. Definitely. Um, one of the things that I noticed that I took when I started my dojo out uh, that I felt was a, a failure within the SCA, it's very, very common. And that is when a new student or prospective student comes in, usually they're just they come in and they'll see a fighting practice, for example, and they'll look around with wonder of all the people in armor and they probably have a, some curiosity. That's why they're there. They have probably some interest again, why they're there, but very few people will come and go, come over and ask them and say, well, what are you interested in? What about this that is sparking your passion to be here? And that lesson I took as I established my dojo. So when new students come in, I'll ask them, Plain, plain, simple. What is, what's your background? Do you have you done a martial art before? Have you have you you know what experience do you do you have from a physical background? Did you, know, did you play football or did you you know anything like that can be relevant just to get like you said a starting picture of where a student is beginning because the most effective teacher is going to be somebody that can take them from where they are right now to where they want to be. If you never ask them where they want to be, you can take them in a whole direction that is they don't have any interest in. So that yes. communication is a, a crucial part of that. So, and if you don't know, you don't know where they're starting. You may try starting them from someplace where they're not. Exactly. If you're two steps, uh, three, four steps ahead of them, they'll be completely confused. They won't know what you're talking about, and you lose the connection. And, and it's connection between mentor and student that is the crucial part. So, finding out where they start, find out where they want to go, and then then. A good teacher will will assess themselves and say, can I take this the student to that point? And if they can't, they need to find a teacher that can take that person there. Right. And, and that takes a, a management of your ego, but I'm a direct person. So I like going right to the source. And the, the other thing that I found, and I liked how you touched upon the, what type of a, of a learner somebody is, mm -hmm. you can ask them that question, but oftentimes they don't know. They exactly. won't know the answer to that question. And that's okay. You'll learn as a teacher, you will learn about your student in time, but let it take time. Don't try to rush too much. Um, so I, I think that's the most direct thing. And I think every everybody in the SCA, uh, when they see a new person come in, have a bit of kindness and be able to go over and ask and open a dialogue with them and say, thank you for coming here. Um, I, I'm, I wanna help you out. You know, what's your interest? Let, let me help you fulfill your interest. Let me let me guide you a way that's going to get you close to what you're what draws you to this. And and that's a good key to make people at home build, start to build that trust, show that the teacher cares for who they are and why they're there and wants to help them get what they want. And so it's very early things you can build that trust and that relationship with right off the bat. That's exactly, and it's often referred to as learner-centered uh, instruction, mm -hmm. and is useful. Approach. But I agree with you. I, the throw them in the deep end of the pool approach—that's exactly what I, I yeah. uh, went through. Even though we had a few people that were trying, you know, to do a, well. Here's how you throw a, a flat snap and whatnot. But that was it was really nothing uh, elaborate. It was just go out there, put a helmet on, get some bruises, and figure it out. Yeah, exactly. I think we've come a long way since then, at least in some places we have. Um, so lesson number two from the classroom, situation. What's the situation? Is this a one-time 
opportunity or is this an ongoing teacher-student relationship? Mm -hmm. If you have a, a, a regular fighting practice and there are people there and you're teaching them and this is a regular thing, that gives you the ability to structure, to know what they've covered and to reinforce the learning time after time and, and which has to do with structure, which is the next point. But if it's a one-time thing, if somebody approaches you at an event and says, hey, um, <clears throat> can you work with me? Can you teach me something? That's a different situation. And in that case, um, I will ask them where they're from, ask them who they're working with, see if there are other people from their group who I can talk to both of them at the same time. So they then become collaborative learning partners and can reinforce lessons with each other. Um, I find out if they're who they're like the if they're squired to somebody or there's somebody they're working with, and I'll talk to them and say, hey, you know, I talked to this person and I mentioned these, I described these things, and here are the things I saw, so that they can reinforce it. If it's an ongoing teacher relationship at a practice, well, you're not going to probably not going to be the only. You might not be the only teacher at that practice so you might have other people who can all collaborate on helping particular students where they are and what they need so reinforcing learning it it's depends on the situation and if you can't do it you try to find other people who can mm -hmm. absolutely uh i've i've found that the highest pressure uh comes when somebody just walks up to you and says hey give me something good <laughs> You obviously know something about fighting. Teach me something. And it's almost like you're totally blind to where they're at. The, the counter that I've found that's the most effective is, what have you been working on lately? What, what are you, what's kind of the last things that you've started yeah. to pick up? What are you maybe trying to do that you're struggling with? Let's start where you're at right now and see if we can take you one step further. And that's all. You may right. only have five minutes with that person, maybe on a pickup field at Gulf Wars or something. So it's, it's hard to, don't even try to be a, let me give you the next 12 steps that you're going to take right. through, through the journey of your fighting. Just and you also, you can't, you can't completely restructure what they're doing. Right. You can only help them be, you can help them a little bit. Mm -hmm. You can show them something a little bit. One of the things that I've done uh, with uh, squires when they've gone to something in the middle called the tournament of chivalry it's a, a mm -hmm. practice event uh, <clears throat> and i tell my squires take a notebook you're going to hear things from a lot of different instructors write them down and then come back to me and i will help you interpret what they told you so you can understand so we can integrate it into the training you're doing um you also can't throw 20 things at somebody all at the same time. One point, maybe two points. And there are some ways of doing that. But if you overwhelm them with stuff, they're not going to retain anything. Yeah, we call that trying to drink from a fire hose. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And the one thing is you talked about that that I, that I jumped on or that, that came to mind, which was... Um, when somebody comes up to you and asks you, you might be in a mindset of learning from somebody else, or you might be studying a fight, learn to switch gears, learn right. to switch into a gear of, okay, right now I'm, a, I'm going to be a mentor. 
and be ready to switch gears when you go from working with a few, for a few minutes with that person. Then you go over to a Duke or account and you say, I want you to show me something. And now you switch right. gears from mentor into a student. If you can switch gears like that and see when it's appropriate for you to absorb and learn, you will learn not only from teaching, which is a whole new realm of, of your own learning, but you'll also learn to switch, put your ego aside, put everything that you've gained aside and absorb something from another source, even if you and, might be able, not be able to process right. it at the moment. But then you and then there's the other, the other kind of switching gear, which is switching gear from teaching or learning into the list field where you're actually doing. And that's another kind of, I see people out there who in the list field, they still act like it's a practice. Right. And that's another thing. So actually run students through um, practicing how to be in a list. Mm -hmm. And that's a little different too. So situation. Yeah. yeah. So let's go to number three. Okay. Number three, structure. Organize your content. <clears throat> and Duke Sean did a whole episode on his, the way he has it organized. Uh, I organize my content from the feet up, from the boots up. In fact, I call it rebooting yourself when, you know, you've got a break and the students sometimes won't know how to, how to reset. Say, so start from the, your feet, boot, you know, reboot, start from your feet. And I start with the feet because that your feet affects your stance, which affects your balance, which affects everything and affects movement. And so I start with the feet and, but then it, that's just the starting place for organization. Um, <clears throat> so people can organize things differently. And again, depends on the student too and, and where they are and what you're trying to do with them. So organize your content into a system. A system is, people talk about fighting styles. I, I, what people should be more focused on is fighting systems where every piece affects every other piece. The, the, equip, the stance, the equipment, the movement, the, uh, you know, I have a method for sizing, balancing and, and um, uh, hanging a heater shield. <clears throat> but it depends, the last part of it, the very last part depends on the stance because it, and that's a different episode, but I did post a PDF of my method um, on, the, on the page that people can download and ask me questions. I'm thinking of doing a video showing how that's done too, but the stance changes the last part of the mounting. So <clears throat> it's understanding what context you're you're going to be working in understand your, a system and there are multiple systems so if somebody is using is fighting in a different system are you a good enough teacher to help them improve in that system that they're using can you see how the pieces interrelate and what drawbacks there are what where the the flaws are and how they can improve that sure. so organize your content mm -hmm. yeah i uh I do like the ground up thing because if you you can have the best hand handwork in the world, but if your footwork sucks, you're gonna you're gonna get smoked. Yeah. Um, I think Duke Comar had one of the best quotes, and I still use it to this day. Is that he said, "A sad set of feet that lets your ass, to, ass take a beating." <laughs> and um, 
And I, I love that and I still share it with, with my Aikido students because it's absolutely true. Um, and, I, and I agree with you. In fact, I'm gonna share just a little story. When my, I think I was a brown belt and my instructor said, all right, Tristan, I want you to have you teach a class. Uh, and I spent a week planning that thing out. I had, I had the whole thing structured of exactly I was gonna do this technique, which leads into that technique because they're related and they, they're built on this concept. And I had architected the whole thing and I went in and I, I showed the first technique and I watched what the students were doing. And I realized we need to work on a certain fundamental and I just ditched my whole plan yeah. right out the window. And that was the last time I actually pre-planned a class ahead of time. What I learned was as you get with students, watch them. They will tell you, they will show you what they need to work on. You just have to have listen, listen right. and watch what they will do. And, I, and the most uh, disconnected and ineffective teachers I've seen don't listen to the students and they don't watch. And they try to just impose like their own agenda or structure of what they think the students need. And they will most often miss the mark. And yeah, so the worst I, I agree with an organization, yeah. definitely have a system where you're teaching. You have a logical order. Okay, in order to do one thing, you need to teach this thing to set that up. Have exactly. that chain but realize where a student is along that chain. Which goes back to point number one. Students. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yep. I, 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 had a, I was teaching a, a class and they submitted um, some work and I uh, created it. And the next class I was going, uh, I was teaching with them was supposed, excuse me, supposed to be about some, a certain content I started the class with, okay, put, you know, close, put down your books, your tablets, your pens, whatever, and look at me and listen to what I'm saying. And I scared the hell out of them, which was good because they needed scaring. I said, clearly, you haven't been paying attention to what I've been saying because you either did stuff I told you not to do or didn't do stuff I told you to. So forget about today's lesson. You're going to get in your groups. You're going to work on your stuff, and I'm going to come around and I'm going to talk to you about what you fit, what you screwed up, and we're going to fix it. And you're not going to make that mistake again. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> yeah, it scared the hell out of me, but it worked because I was open to fixing what needed to be fixed at the time. So good. Cool. Okay, the number four styles, and I. Um, I said styles, but I, I said they're systems, but I'm talking about accommodating multiple learning styles, what are called learning styles. And learning styles is, <clears throat> has been discounted, it's been argued, it's, it was doctrine and now it's not, uh, the kinesthetic, verbal, visual, that sort of thing. Uh, for me, I think of learning styles not as how students learn, but as different ways of approaching how I teach. And so if I can explain something in one way and another way and another way in a different method, a different style and illuminate something completely, then the student starts to get it. And the, the analogy I use is like, I, like taking a student into a completely dark room and I've got a flashlight and there's an object in the center of the room and I shine a light on it and they get a picture of it, but only from one point of view. So I walk further around the room, illuminate it again, and so on and so on, until they get a complete picture of it, until they can understand it and they can describe it. So I'll, I'll show them things, I'll um, 
tell them things. I'll um, sometimes have them do things because those are the tools for helping illuminate ideas and concepts for them. I use analogies um, a lot in explaining things. Uh, I use stories because they're more memorable a lot of times than simply facts. Um, <clears throat> and uh, there's kinesthetic feedback. So if somebody's actually physically doing so, I'll do that if I'm teaching how to do presentations, I actually will get them to stand up and move and do certain things to understand what to do and what not to do. So there's a bunch of different ways, but learning styles, I think of more as teaching styles. How many different ways can you as a teacher present the same information because each different way of presenting it reinforces the other ways? Sure. Uh, one of the things that, that I learned but just by watching students and how they absorb information. Uh, and two, two things. One is the language that you use. When you learn something and you're shown it, especially from a bunch of different sources, oftentimes you will find a certain language that will click in your head. Like mm -hmm. one person will explain a concept, you won't get it. Another person will explain it in a whole different way, you won't get it. Somebody, a third person will explain it in a way and you just go, okay, yeah, I, now I understand what you're talking about. So a good, in my opinion, a good teacher can shift languages to try to find what a student needs to, to get that click. Yes. What I've also found is that with certain concepts, and actually with a lot of them, some students are just not ready to absorb it yet, no matter what language is used. And so it requires patience as a teacher to, to realize, okay, what I want to show this person, what I really think they need or what they're ready for, Maybe they're not ready for it yet, but you show it to them. If they don't get it, tell them it's okay. You don't get it right now. Someday it will click. And I've had students where for years I've used the simplest language possible and they just, they, they can't internalize it. They don't understand or don't quite get it. And then one day you just see like a light bulb go off and they go, exactly. yeah. now I know what you've been talking to me about for two, two years. When you said breathe, I get it. Now I understand or, or you know, how, whatever it winds up being. So there's a certain amount of patience that's required as a teacher, a certain amount of patience as a student. If you're a student and you're not getting it, don't beat yourself up. The brain only has a certain rate that it can absorb information. And when you're, when you're dealing with complex information that's layered upon certain understanding that needs to be there, prerequisite experience, it takes time. And as much as you wanna be good next week, it just, it will take time to do it. And, and there's, there are no shortcuts through the, through that. Some lessons will come really quickly, like in minutes, others may take weeks or more to absorb. So um, as a teacher, show some patience and as a student, a student show patience, exactly. but try to, try to realize maybe the student needs a different way of looking at it. Like the flashlight example yeah. to kind of grasp what you're talking about. And um, I, I love it when I see the light go on for a student. That's such a gratifying moment. And I've certainly had the experience, I think any of us who've taught fighting have the experience of explaining something, explaining something, explaining something. And then sometime later, the student will come back and say, hey, I learned this cool thing. It's like, yeah, this is the thing we've been talking about for years, <laughs> but now they got it. And they, because somebody else repeated it and they heard it and they 
in Keaton. Uh, that's great. As long as they get it, that's that's really good. And and by the way, I, I would say that's probably the, the the jewel of teaching. That is the the beauty of sharing with a student that that light bulb moment. That's why I yeah. love teaching. And yeah. that's I loved it in the SCA. I love it in a dojo environment. When when somebody can see what they're capable of and how powerful they can be and they they have that joy i mean there's nothing better than sharing that joy with them that's fantastic yeah i occasionally get feedback letters from students that yeah it happened at a restaurant this woman and her daughter came up to to us and and the woman said this is my daughter she was one of your students and she has this great job and the daughter then proceeded to thank me that was such a great moment. That was really good. Um, <clears throat> so that was styles, teaching styles. Um, <clears throat> the next is stack. stack. Build the content in a logical order. This is, has to do with organizing the content. So each lesson builds on the previous lesson, but then you re keep reinforcing the previous lesson. So you re-engage the training process. So it, it certainly happens in the classroom <clears throat> that students, unfortunately, some students, often treat each class as something to get through and then forget. Mm -hmm. Instead of teaching, instead of understanding that it's cumulative, that it's additive, that you get through this one class, you're expected to have mastered content in that class because it's prerequisite for the next class. And <clears throat> so I often find that in the beginning of a of a semester, I have got to reiterate stuff that they should already know because some of them have forgotten it. Um, so that's re what I mean by re-engaging the process. So you keep reinforcing the previous lessons as you go, go on until you're certain that they've got that and you can move into new things. So that's part of the structuring, organizing content, but it's, it's it has to do with the logical order of it and then going back and revisiting things as needed as you're going forward. Don't just say, okay, they got that, move on, because the previous stuff might not have stuck. Yep. And I think this harkens back to what you're talking about with the uh, foundation layer, the, the building from the ground up. Mm -hmm. I found that in teaching martial arts, same way with teaching fighting, because they really they're the same thing. I like taking a fundamentals approach teach fundamentals the what weapon style you're using that's like a cosmetic difference it's really there is not much of a difference so when you're talking things like movement control of movement range uh timing those are the fundamentals mm -hmm. and how you deal with a great sword versus sword and shield you're just dealing with those same fundamentals but i agree with you sometimes i see teachers teach and one of the things i like studying especially when watching videos is not so much a uh or even learning from another instructor, watching their, their technical ability. I watched their teaching ability. How are they able to weave together a good lesson, even in a couple of minutes or through a seminar throughout a whole day? You see ones that take a, an organized approach where there's a logical progression where everything they show is built on the previous thing and it makes logical sense. It's like somebody telling a story. You tell a story in a, in a flowing way or you hear a song that flows through it's logical progression. And then you run across an instructor who's not very organized and they're just throwing haphazard things out that don't make any sense to a student. And they, 
can't, the students are confused. They can't piece them together. Um, it's very rough. And at the end of the day, the student walks away going, I don't even know what that was. And they're yeah. lucky to, to walk away with one thing, maybe that makes sense to them. The rest <laughs> will seem like gobbledygook. I think, I think almost every professional seminar I've been to, I only hope, I hope I get at least one thing out of it. You know, it might be a 90 minute seminar that I've gone to <clears throat> and it's so disorganized and haphazard. I'm thinking, and I'm taking notes and thinking, what, what is in here that's worthwhile? And maybe it's a couple of things. Maybe it's only one thing. And it's, it's, um, it's really frustrating. So, um, <clears throat> so point number six, simplify. So, <clears throat> One of the things I'll do, say, starting with the feet, and I'll spend a lot of time about stance and foot and movement and so on. And then as we move on to, I, I will summarize that just with like one word, feet. It, and it that one word essentially acts like a mnemonic to key into all the previous discussion about that we've talked about just about their stance and position and, and movement. And we'll do that and I'll, we'll move on to the next thing. And then I'll say feet and they'll go, oh yeah. And they'll go back to readjusting that. And I moved on to the next thing and I'll explain the concepts as we work through the, the structure <clears throat> and then give that a one word summary. So that then that simplification, that short, keyword um, <clears throat> allows them to under understand that, what that means. It's a, it's a summary way. It, and then I can stack those, those short bites of, of summary information. So we, I can be then sparring with a student, working with a student and, and watch what, watching what they're doing and say, you know, <clears throat> feet or, hand or something and they'll understand what I mean and what they're doing wrong just by that. So I don't have to stop, explain the whole thing again because I explained it before. And so that simplification um, really helps because it shows the student that they have actually internalized the understanding. Yeah, those are a good cues for a teacher to use as, to, as a reminders. And the shorthand saves you time to get yes. to that point. Uh, and just, I'll throw in just a funny story because this happened to me and I think it's happened to every martial arts student that I've even, or, or fighter that I've run into in the same thing where, you know, you're working on something and what you're doing with your upper body is working pretty well. And then you realize your footwork sucks and somebody says feet and you go, okay, right. you start thinking about your feet and then everything you're doing with your upper body just goes right out the window. Um, right. And it, it's funny because it's almost like a bonding moment with every martial artist when they realize, yeah, I've done that same thing. Yeah. And they'll, they'll exactly. then they, they clean up their feet and their upper, and then they go back to work in their upper body the way they, they should be. And then they forget about their feet. It, it just happens to everybody. Yeah. And I kind of, I kind of in explaining the simplify, I kind of overlapped into summarize naming each complex topic with a key mnemonic word because simplification is well, <clears throat> there's only so much talk about the, the biomechanics of the acceleration of 
decreasing muscle group size of muscle groups in a specific order that you can talk about you have to explain that more simply right uh in more simple terms and then summarize that that's which is point seven with the mnemonic so i kind of jumped over a little bit sure one last thing with this and this is something i learned in the in the traditional martial art realm is that you can if you're coming and clever or experienced you can come up with exercises and drills that focus on certain fundamentals rather than just saying go spar and try to work this in right because right. that gets a little almost too complicated it's best to have drills and we, we're actually going to be doing a, a, a an episode coming up here pretty soon where we're going to be talking about how do you do focus drills to simplify the principle that you right. want to reinforce rather than just say try to work this into your sparring right and simplification is part of building in drills mm -hmm. and <clears throat> too many practices fight practices are just people going out there and sparring and they're not it's not focused and i i know that when um i was starting out we i i we did drills and i but i also came from a fencing background and there were a lot of modern sport fencing background and there were a lot of drills in that so we would just say stand there with a partner who would throw blows slowly and we would have to just block everything and then they'd speed up and then they and we do drills to work on feints is with a partner is this believable is this you know does somebody and, and drilling it when people make the transition from a drill to sparring very often they for, they completely lose focus and they forget that they should be working on this specific thing mm -hmm. in a practice you're not trying to win or lose you're trying you're winning if you're focusing on this particular thing you're working on it doesn't matter if somebody hits you it matters if you do this technique correctly even if it's just movement or whatever it is so that you're getting that repetition in, so your body is starting to learn this. So right. that's part of simplifying. Mm -hmm. So I talked about summarize. And so number eight is scan. Build in evaluation stages to determine which lessons need revisiting. So <clears throat> this is, I explained to students in the classroom that the exams I give them, my approach with exams is to reinforce the things that they should have learned mm -hmm. <clears throat> and how do you build in evaluation stages with in SCA fighting? Well, you, you revisit you again, it's re-engaging the previous learning. Then that's a time for sparring and see, well, what are they doing? What are, are they, have they incorporated this? Well, where did it, is it start to break down? How do we, <clears throat> how can, um, how can we go back to that? Where do we need to go back to? And it's a reevaluation stage. Sure. Um, yeah, the evaluation, I think, is an important part. Uh, one of the things that I found very useful, and some practices have it, but a lot of them don't, and that is um, debriefing. Talk with your opponents afterwards. After you're getting out of armor, just sit around and, and chat with them a little while say you know hey what 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 do you felt what do you feel was not working for you what do you feel did work 
when we sparred, uh, you know, you landed some shots on me. How did you do it? What were you seeing? Uh, use that time. And I found this initially in the, on the melee field, when we would go out, my household would go out and fight and we'd come back and we'd be like, okay, what worked? What didn't work? Mm -hmm. What do we want to work on next time? Um, how do we want to change? What do we want to have for a plan? And I found that from an individual standpoint, that evaluation I would do either myself or if I could talk with my opponents and, and uh, get their input and feedback would help me make a list of what I wanted to do for the next practice. I, I could, I could process it for a couple of days and go, okay, what are the top three things I really want to get down for the next practice? And then I would use that as sort of a cycle where the day of the practice or the day before the next practice, but okay, what was that list that I made up uh, that I had? All right, what are those two or three things that I really want to work on? And I'd start gearing myself up. All right, when I go to practice, how, how am I going to focus on those things? How am I going to use my, the evaluation I, I did from last time to make this practice take care of those problems or at least address them or try to work on them? So you're using kind of a structure rather than just throwing your bag down at, at practice and putting your arm around and going, well, I guess I'll go do some sparring. That's very haphazard and it really yep. won't get much for results in in the classroom the one of the models is what's often referred to as military training model tell them what you're going to tell them tell them what you're telling them tell them what you told them mm -hmm. and 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 that way of doing it is is useful it's uh it essentially sort of evaluate it's a reiteration but i will also ask students what's the main thing you got today What's the main thing you got? The main point you got? What's your main takeaway today? Or two or three? I'll, I'll spend the last few minutes of class sometimes asking them that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so yeah. um, let's see. Speak back. Point number nine. Have students explain concepts in their own word words. Mm -hmm. So you've explained something. You've now to help them internalize it it's not really evaluating if they've internalized it it is but it's also to really help them internalize it make them say it in their own words and <clears throat> this is really useful because you can see if they're just repeating what you said or if they really understand it and i i was in a uh, i've been actually in quite a few productions of shakespeare plays and i had one director who uh, had us do a scene um, <clears throat> in modern speech. We'd all, we'd learn the lines, but the director said, do this scene, but improvise everything and do it in modern language. And the point was of this was to say it, the word, say it in our own words with the own, the correct emotional content, and then take that back the meaning and the content back to the lines in Shakespearean English. It also let the director see if we didn't understand what we were saying. So <clears throat> that was really useful. So re and, and again, that's an example of the kind of analogies I use when I'm teaching in the classroom, have students explain concepts in their own words. Yeah. One of the, the things that I found that's, that's very useful. Uh, and I only noticed this as a, as a teacher after a little while, uh, after I started teaching and that was that I'm not teaching somebody's forebrain, the part that engages in conversation. Mm -hmm. 
when I'm teaching physical aspects, I'm teaching that lizard brain in the back that actually controls your body movement. And that is done by feel. So oftentimes when I engage the student and say, what I'll say to them is, how did that technique feel? You did it correctly. How did it feel to your body? Did it feel smooth? Did it feel effortless? Did it feel like it, it fits into how your body wants to move? And usually they'll say, well, yeah, that, that I can, I now have the feel. And what I want to do is connect the forebrain that I would ask them, okay, what, tell me about what, how this movement that you just did. And they, they could probably repeat my words back to me, but they wouldn't have internalized it. Right. And that's why I usually take the, the angle of how did that feel? Did it feel like that clicked? Did it feel like it was something that technique is something you could trust or that you would do? And, and, and that relates to a, a technique I'll use mm -hmm. in uh, that combines simplification and summarizing in their own words, a bunch of things. So I'll have <clears throat> students doing something fighting. They're doing something incorrectly. I'll take the time to explain it, show them how to do it, have them do it correctly, repeat that and repeat that and repeat that, and then have them go back to the way they were doing it incorrectly and then do that so they can feel the difference right. and then have them do it correctly again and go back and forth a few times just to, so they get that feel mm -hmm. because what you're trying to teach them is how to become self-corrected. Mm -hmm. You're trying to teach students how to evaluate themselves um, and what they're doing so they can continue to improve and so that's one technique I'll, I'll do like simplest examples with somebody's feet um, where there's, I'll, I'll correct them and then I'll say, okay, now do it, go back to what you were doing. Now feel how it feels. And, you know, you were lifting your foot when you're doing this because of this thing, how does it feel? Or you're, you were letting your elbow come out. Now bring it in. Now, how does this feel? And, to get them that evaluation stage is it can be internalized. Yeah, absolutely. Good. So, which brings us to point number 10, student teachers. Have students teach other students and supervise them, but <clears throat> um, watch what they're doing and see, help them to become a better teacher. There's an old saying, um, I hear and I forget, I see and I remember, I do and I understand. I've added to that I teach and I begin to master the subject. And I think that having someone explain it to some, a student explain it to someone else helps them to, to make certain that they understand it and they really understand it because they have to explain it in their own words. Too. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, one of the lessons that that I got from a, a teacher, and this is from the Aikido world, and that is, uh, it it addresses the problem where somebody says, "Well, I, I don't have enough rank. I'm not senior or experienced enough to actually teach, so I shouldn't be teaching anybody." And I understand that sentiment, and there's there's it's valid. You obviously don't want to go teach somebody something that's wrong, but first thing, it it'll happen. It, mm -hmm. there, there's nobody that knows enough that will eventually not make the mistake of showing somebody something that is incorrect. So you got to get over that right away. Um, and that, and the lesson that, that my instructor told me, he said, if you know one thing, teach that one thing. You don't have to know everything before you, you can go 
share somebody, something with somebody that can help them. Even mm -hmm. if it winds up being eventually wrong or they need to, they'll move past it. For that moment, you're going to give somebody something a little better than what they have at the time. So you let the, that ego part go of, of saying, well, I don't want to be caught teaching something that's incorrect. If you have the heart to help somebody, that's noble and definitely do it. Um, and the very thing that you thought was, was perfect and great, you might learn tomorrow something that's going to be better for you to, to be better. So it's all a process. It's not a, an end result or an end goal. It's all an ongoing process of improving yourself, improving what you teach others. And by, and I agree with you totally. If, if somebody, if a student or a practitioner comes up and they stay away from teaching until they become an expert, by the time they are quote unquote an expert and they go to teach, their teaching will be very poor. Their skills right. of teaching will be very, very poor. And they're going to be frustrated because people will be knocking at their door saying, you're an expert, teach me. And you're going to be caught going, well, I want to teach you, but I don't know how to teach you. And now you're going to have to start from square one. So and, it's best to learn them both as you go along. And after all, that is one of the points of this whole program we're doing is helping people to become better teachers. Because being a better teacher means you also are a better student. Mm -hmm. yep. So. So I, are, I, will, I want to throw in one too here, and this is sure, something that, that ambushed me. My, my instructor enlightened me too, and I've seen it repeated. And that is, if all of your students have a bad habit, chances are they got it from you. Oh, they watch what you were doing, and they're copying you, and you're seeing them all do it wrong. And you're probably going to, as a teacher, go yell at them for doing it wrong. And then you're going to hit yourself with a, in the head with a brick when you realize they got it from watching you. Right. And so be ready for that that teacher mind to be humble even though you're taking on a mentor role because you will probably be one of the bad influences that your students you're going to be frustrated that your students are getting um well I th and i think we've certainly seen in the sca plenty of times where it's like you see somebody and go oh i know who they're learning with because you, they're just completely copying the style, but a lot of times it's either imitation without understanding or it's a completely different body type. And that says to me that the person teaching them can teach only what they do, not teach people how to be the best of who they can be. And so, yeah, it doesn't always work. No, that's true. Yeah, I think we're doing well on time. There's one I wanted to add to the list, and that is, um, and this is something I got, I guess, from uh, the, the dojo environment as well as the SCA environment. And as a teacher, it is your duty to make sure that, the, that your teaching is a fun experience. It's very easy to get into a, a teacher relationship where you think, I have, my student has to be better when I leave them, whether it's the five minute session you have with somebody or an hour session or a month and you get driven into this they've got to be better i've got to you know impose a curriculum i've got to teach just have a good time if you are enjoying yourself your that energy will will be picked up by the student they will enjoy it they will students will learn faster when they're having a good time they'll learn easier and better when they have a relaxed environment that they're enjoying themselves so I've added this to my list as number 11, smile. 
So yep. I gave every start everything with the letter S. Smile. Yep. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I crack jokes in class. Now my students think they're the worst kind of dad jokes, but it's still they laugh at them. Mm-hmm. And I tell, I do, I because I want them to be relaxed. They mm-hmm. learn better if they're relaxed. If they're tense, well, you know, uh, uh, bodies that are tense can't move. Minds that are tense can't learn. And so I try to get them to, to, if not have fun, at least to, to be relaxed. Absolutely. And smiling helps with that. And I've, I've visited Aikido dojos, uh, and some of them are very formal. A lot of a lot of martial arts that way, very formal, very mm-hmm. quiet, uh, almost um, uh, I don't want to say serene, but but uh, like kind of walking into a Catholic church. You know, everybody's talking in very hushed tones or whatever. Um, in my dojo, I like hearing my students laugh when they get thrown, when they have a really good success, or even when they screw up. I like just saying, you know, if you're enjoying yourself express it express that you like being here and it it changes the tone of the class it changes the tone of instruction when a teacher is passionate the students will pick up on that passion and they will be drawn to it they will be drawn to want to share in what that teacher has to learn Um, so attitude of a teacher is huge attitude of the student is huge and like we talked about earlier the shifting gears you might be a teacher in one moment and a student in the next moment but if you're, if you're enjoy, everybody's enjoying themselves and having a good time doing it, not only will you walk away having an easier time learning because the mind is not under stress, but you're going to want to come back. That's a very enjoyable experience. And I think this will touch on another episode we're talking about doing, which is how to build a, a healthy, vibrant practice uh, in your group and how to keep it positive and to, to help recruit people and to have it be a positive experience. So. Uh, with that, do we have any questions uh, on the Facebook group or uh, any questions that uh, people have for for us? We do not as of yet. I think you guys have been really succinct and your points are very clear. Um, okay. So no, no questions, but that's not to say they can't ask questions if they do have them. Uh, going and heading over to the SCA Coaches Corner. Mm-hmm. And I can put up a link for that. I think right now we're closing in on right about an hour. Was that your goal for the? Yeah, we were trying to get it right around right around an hour. I know we've had some long episodes because we've all gotten into the the talking group. Yeah. But uh, yeah. it's hard because you know once you get going, you don't want to stop when you're on the roll. So yeah. for me, I don't mind. I enjoy it. <laughs> it's tough in the it's tough in the classroom because I have to watch the clock and and try to get through content but not be so rushed that they don't have time to absorb it but watch the clock and make sure i cover things and stuff and it's a it's a balancing act and sometimes i will i will say well we'll pick up that the rest of this next time because i don't want to leave a subject that or part of a subject that they're really engaged with yeah. And also, you don't want to leave them frustrated because they haven't fully had a chance to really right. grasp exactly. all of it. So. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's been wonderful having you both here tonight. Could you, either of you, tell us a little bit about what's coming up next week? Uh, yeah, we're, we're kind of cooking up a, uh, an episode on 
uh, fighting injuries and how to spot them and avoid them. And I believe, if I remember right, I think Veronis is going to get together with Attila and Sean. I think. I believe so. Yeah. Uh, I guess Attila's schedule is with work is a little bit tight. So uh, it sounds like this episode is a go, but it, we may have to make a last minute change, but we'll certainly announce it early next week for uh, Vesper does a great job of putting up like Monday or Tuesday. Here's the episode <laughs> that's going to be on Friday. So um, I think that's on the slate, but, and we've got some other ones coming up. I know we did the poll a couple of weeks ago about what episodes people would like to see. I think what we're going to do is come up with a new poll in the next week for the uh, five or so episodes that we want to see which gets the best responses for that we'll plan out uh, in future. So we're going to kind of keep that rolling to see that uh, stuff that people's interested in in is what we're talking about. Very good. Awesome. Well, I want to thank both of you for being here tonight. Again, everybody that's watching, if you had questions you're a little shy about asking or they crop up later, I will put a link up to the SCA Coaches Corner by sure. Like, definitely get over there and check them out because they are awesome people. All right. So I hope you all have a lovely evening and we will see you guys again in one form or another, a combination of you all. <laughs> in, thank you again, Vesper. You're, uh, yes. you're great. You're uh, taking thank care you. of us really well. Thank you. Thank you thank very you. much. Have yeah, a have wonderful a good, night. Have Bye. A night. Have a great Bye. night. <laughs>